What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Core Consult RX Podcast. And we are... Oh, yeah, by the way, guys, we're live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter for um, all the students cool. in the room. Yeah, Wonderful. Yeah. They were asking me if anyone was going to listen, so I was like, I figured we might as well go live, too. Make <laughs> it even more... Uh, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. That's good. So uh, we're going to do episode 184 today. And today we're going to do another patient case. So hopefully you guys aren't sick of these. We've done a couple of them somewhat recently, but this one has a few different um, kind of nuances to it that I don't think we've really talked much about. Uh, I know one thing in particular we haven't talked about uh, at all. Since I had never heard of it, I'm sure we haven't talked about it. <laughs> Cole has not heard about it, and he was starting to diagnose himself with it, but, but I don't think he's got <laughs> it. So we're going to talk about that, and uh, we'll, we'll go through the case. Um, we're also going to um, post like a PDF version with the pertinent information on a uh, like a PDF file that will be on the website. I'll put a link to that. So when I go to actually, you know, once this episode's available on Spotify and all that good stuff, um, you can get uh, the the labs and everything if you want to take a look at it yourself. There's also some like questions, clinical questions, if you will. They're they're pretty straightforward and easy. But if you want to quiz yourself. Go ahead and hit pause, and you can uh, do it. It's a, it's a new thing we're trying. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, but you do, you uh, do a pre-listen quiz and then a post-listen quiz. And a see what post-listen you learn. quiz. They're going to, like, get all of them wrong at the beginning, and then, or maybe they'll get them right at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then get them wrong at the end. After they listen to us, they get totally yeah. confused. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got three students uh, in the um, – in the studio today, and then also AJ is not here, so I'm actually in the AJ cam, so that's good news. Um, but uh, yeah, so AJ is on a, a cruise, and he's been gone for like 17 weeks, I feel like, but um, <laughs> yeah, so hopefully he'll be back with us next time. Um, but uh, how's everything going for the month, you guys, since all three are on my rotation? Everyone's having a blast, right? We're living it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah Fantastic. So fun. Good, good. Okay, well, Austin, that does not sound very enthusiastic. Austin's three weeks up. left. <laughs> Austin would hurt every one of my feelings. That's fine. <laughs> well, it's been my favorite rotation so far. So oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's first and it'll probably always be your favorite first rotation. So. <laughs> Thank you, Cole. It's, Cole's, yeah. it's still Cole's favorite still first It's still my rotation. favorite first one. Yeah. There you go. All right. So let's give some background information um, first, and then we'll kind of we'll split up the different disease states that we're going to kind of discuss. But BR is a 34-year-old African-American female with a past medical history significant for type 2 diabetes, insomnia, hypertension, dyslipidemia, and newly diagnosed intermittent explosive disorder, for which she is not currently medicated. She had a stent placed in February 2021 um, during an emergency procedure, had a PCI, um, after experiencing pain and tightness in her chest, uh, as well as uh, lightheadedness um, and trouble breathing, um, and ended up um, being diagnosed with a STEMI. Uh, She came to clinic today to discuss her new psych diagnosis, excessive dizziness and fatigue during the day. Um, It thinks this is due to hyperglycemia. Um, also the insomnia that she's experiencing at night, um, as well as uh, kind of a craving for ice. She says she just loves getting crushed ice and chewing it. So, hmm, what could that be about, guys? Wink, wink. Yeah. Um, and drug allergies include lisinopril. Um, it's, it's not technically an allergy, but uh, that, we have it listed in there because she had a really bad, dry, hacky, you know, ace cough. Um, her blood pressure today is 144 over 86. Heart rate is 84 beats per minute. Um, her BMI is 30.7. Um, her A1C in June of 2021 was a 6.4 percent. 
Uh, October went up to 7.4, and then in April 2022, it jumped up to 12.8, um, and then in May 2022, 12.5. Um, glucose uh, today, uh, just a random glucose check, was 240. Uh, her EGFR is greater than 60 mils per minute. Uh, all of her other labs are um, within normal limits, uh, with the exception of her iron labs. Uh, ferritin, in particular, is quite low. Um, it's a 12. Her hemoglobin is a 12. Um, and her uh, LDL is sitting at a 95 um, currently. Uh, triglycerides are 82 uh, milligrams per deciliter. Uh, current meds include diabetes, um, for diabetes, she's doing Trilicity, 3 milligrams. Um, she started this back in January. And Metformin, um, 1,000 milligram BID, uh, doing the immediate release um, version. For dyslipidemia and uh, post-stent, you know, dual antiplatelet therapy, she is on uh, aspirin, 81 milligrams, clopidogrel, 75 milligrams. I'm still taking both of those. And um, a tenolol, 25 milligrams twice a day for hypertension. Um, does not is not aware of any like statin use. Um, we can't find anything in the record about a statin. Um, so there you go. There's the the patient. So where do y'all want to start? Oh, we're gonna start with her diabetes. Let's do it, Austin. Uh, so she started off being a really good patient as far as compliance and everything, um, and adhering to a good diet. Um, like her A1C back in June of 21 was the 6.4. And now it's sitting at a 12.5. Um, Coming to find out, she had some nice education from Facebook about the healthy factor of how not healthy uh, diet soda is. So she thought that diet soda was just as bad as regular soda. So she adhered to guzzling two to three Pepsis a day. Um, so we followed that up with some education on trying the zero sodas. And that that was Facebook knowledge that her diet and zeros were not just as bad as regular. Um, yeah. Did, was she taking the metformin or was she actually being adherent to that? She claimed that she was being adherent to the metformin. Um, it was the regular release, so not the extended release and her trulicity. She did complain of like some ongoing nausea and everything upon eating. So she was actually, she said that the regular Pepsis were helping her. Hence <laughs> why she would bump that up. Uh, from one to two, two to three. I mean, Pepsi's helped me. Or maybe yeah. Cokes. <laughs> it helps everybody. But you drink Coke Zero, though. I do. She, she was like, I'm not about that Coke Zero well, life. Well, you know. I mean, I suffer through Coke Zeros. You don't I, like the taste of them? They're, they're whatever, but like, if I can have an actual Coke, I was so bad, I'm, much I'm, better. I'm really down with the Dr. Pepper Zero. I mean, it's fine, whatever, but nothing beats the real thing, man. I don't know. Just can't beat it. Can't I like, beat it. I feel like it was pretty good. I was uh, actually really impressed. But um, the, the other thing, too, is uh, with, and we'll just kind of mention this, because we had given her a short um, course of Zofran when we bumped up the uh, Trulicity dose because she was having kind of uh, nausea, um, not actual vomiting, but some nausea and stomach discomfort um, every time we kind of went up on the Trulicity. So we had given uh, Zofran. Um, the second uh, prescription that she was given for Zofran, the pharmacy actually like did not want to fill it because they were saying that, um, it could cause QT prolongation, and they were just kind of like refusing to fill that until they could speak to someone at the clinic. So 
yes, that is definitely something that uh, you know is a is listed as a potential side effect of ondansetron. However, it's typically we something we think about in um, regards to like the IV formulation and the the study in the case report and whatnot that have kind of like talked about that uh, QT prolongation. It's more so um, again dealing with the IV formulation, but also like if you look at the actual prolonged time it's not that significant like i think 20 milliseconds maybe yeah so it's not anything like too crazy to where you know there's we'd have to completely avoid you know right. the, the zofran if we can keep her on the medication um we definitely uh, i would definitely not kept her from getting the zofran right. not saying. only that the zofran aside even if it was pretty much any medication that causes qt prolongation if they're only on one from a you know dispensing pharmacist perspective, I generally wouldn't think I'm going to hold that up. If if they're on you know two and you're really concerned and you just want to get uh, you know make sure the provider is aware that there is that interaction, you know so that they're following up or maybe you're aware that they have some cardiac issue where you have extra concern, you know whatever. But one with no other yeah no other offending agents yeah no, not going to no. be worried give, about that. Give her the Zofran. Now she's yeah. going to drink Pepsi's to make her stomach feel better. Right right yeah exactly. Now yeah. now 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 my whole problem is off the rails because. Uh, didn't want to dispense Zofran. Yeah. Come on, work with me, people. So she's on metformin immediate release, not extended release. Yeah, but instead she's taking it. Um, I do. I do think we actually got a. I don't know if we actually followed up with the pharmacy to check her like refill logs, um, but uh, that would be something we need to look into more as well. So she was on Lantus, but no longer, huh? Yeah, I th- and so I'm in- I'm just interested in this bump in the A1C. I-, I get that it probably has to do with the sodas, but was there Lantus involved with the? Earlier A1Cs, do you think, in any way? So it was kind of it was kind of confusing. It looks like the Trulicity um, was started and then the Lantus was brought off because she was having lows with the Lantus periodically because her diet kind of is all over the place um, as far as when she's eating and ha- what she's actually, you know, how many carbs she's having per meal. Um, but uh, I, th- I think it also, if you actually, like, start to look at the dates and whatnot, the, the zero soda... Um, you know, seems to be kind the of, deal. Yeah, it seems to be where she got got away from that zero soda, went to the uh, the regular soda around the same time. Which you know, I, I do in a lot of cases, Trulicity can be in better than the basal insulin. You know, as far as those postprandial spikes, obviously, especially. But the uh, when you're drinking liquid sugar and whether it's soda, juice, tea, lemonade, whatever, milk, um, that is definitely uh, going to um, usually overcome the. Yeah, if you're guzzling milk. Something going on there. Dude, right. So did I tell you, I told you about that, right? One of my patients who oh, I yeah. talked about it extensively yeah. uh, about drinks. Nope, 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 nothing. And like, wait, does milk have sugar in it? It was like drinking a gallon of milk a day. At least, wait, a gallon? It was, it was a gallon? It was a gallon. Oh, At least that's God. what he said. He said he was drinking six gallons a week. Out of, so out of seven days, he would drink six gallons. Like milk's not like the cheapest drink. I, you know what I'm saying? I haven't drank a gallon of milk in the last 30 years. I mean, that's, I mean... I mean, that's got to be eighteen bucks a week. We're talking. We're working up to seventy-five dollars no a month on, <laughs> on milk. Let me check the math. I I have no idea what milk costs because milk's disgusting. So whatever the opposite of lactose intolerant is. Yeah, yeah he's definitely not that. Ultra metabolizer. He's ultra. He's ultra rapid metabolizer. <laughs> ultra rapid metabolizer of lactose. Of lactose. That's cool. We just discovered a new polymorphism. We must have from that guy. Uh, yeah. But at least milk is a little counterintuitive. The um, the sugared sodas. Yeah. yeah, good, good education. So what's so what's the plan? So we got her up at twelve point eight. So what what is the is the so does the plan? So the, basically, she's kind of resistant to you know 
other medication at this time. So talked about the sodas. She's going to cut them out, and we told her to give her four weeks to bring to start at least moving it in the right direction. Go from there. Austin, did you guys talk about potential options for? Uh, yeah, the crystal light was a big option that appealed to her. Um, she really was willing to try the zero since we assured her that it tasted really similar to the regular. And um, her diet really wasn't a factor because she actually enjoyed green leafy vegetables, which was yeah. a shock. So so diet Pepsi versus regular Pepsi. I don't know. I might, I might, I'd have, I might beg to differ a little bit. But. So I will say the, the crystal light I'm a big fan of, but also one of the things I'll even do sometimes is I'll tell patients this because you'll have patients that want some kind of a, you know, ice cream or popsicles or something like that. that like that, especially in the summer when they want something cold and sweet, mm-hmm. I'll actually like make a really, really sweet version, you know, of the, the drink and then freeze it in those, those popsicle holders and have them do um, that when they get home from work or whatever. And they have that sweet craving. And uh, that seems to kind of, scratch that itch without you know it's just basically eating ice they're not yeah. uh and she's she's liking ice a lot so yeah which we'll talk about yeah they do actually they have zero calorie um uh, popsicles that they market um but they do still have some sugar in them i don't yes. fully understand how that works so but it's they, the, it's, they basically it's, can get away with saying no added sh- because it's essentially no added sugar right so there's same with there's actually a the reese's candy um and like there's a reese's and a hershey's version it says in huge bold letters across it sugar free and then you flip it over, it's like three pieces of candy, 16 grams of carbs. Right. So like, oh, oh, we don't know what free means. <laughs> so yeah, very frustrating. Yeah, but good, good to know. You got to look at those labels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So uh, yeah. Um, all right. What's next, Miss Kaylee? Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the psych. Talk loud, Kaylee. We want to hear you. Okay. Is this better? Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about That's the fantastic. intermittent explosive disorder. Um, this was interesting to me because I'd personally never heard of it either. This is not something we covered in DPT, um, but it's described as flying into rage for no reason. They have behavioral outbursts that are out of proportion to the situation. It's actually characterized under an impulse control disorder, and it's marked by problems controlling emotions and behavior that will result in behaviors that violate the social norms. Um, So some potential causes could be um, a genetic component, being exposed to verbal or physical abuse in childhood, and then just a history of other mental health disorders like ADHD or antisocial disorder or even borderline personality disorder. And they do know that most patients with this disorder have a lifetime history of other psych disorders, including like alcohol abuse, social anxiety disorder, and phobias. Some signs and symptoms are just irritability, rage, increased energy racing thoughts, uh, poor communication, inefficient information processing, tremor, palpitation, stuff like that. The outbursts typically last less than 30 minutes, and the patient may feel a sense of relief after their outburst. Um, and the initial outburst would typically occur in response to something provoking, but it could also occur spontaneously. Um, some examples of outbursts that we found were like physically striking people or animals, verbal outbursts, threats, and physical aggression to objects such as like throwing plates and slamming doors. You diagnose this disorder using the DSM-5, and the goal of treatment is remission, which is defined as resolution of symptoms or improvement to the point that only one or two symptoms is considered mild. Um, 
The patient should also be advised to avoid intoxication with alcohol or other substances because those significantly increase the risk of violent behavior um, in these site conditions. So with all of that being said, the treatment of choice is fluoxetine 20 milligrams once daily, and you can titrate up to 60 as needed. Um, there was a trial in patients with this disorder that said fluoxetine does have a clear anti-aggressive effect in this disorder. Some typical side effects we do see with this drug include sexual dysfunction, sleep disturbances, nausea, vomiting, and restlessness. Um, and I do think this patient experienced some insomnia due to the antidepressant. So we'll go into what we can do with that in a second. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. So do you run into this before, Mike? So I, I saw one patient uh, when I was seeing, um, when I was kind of doing consults with uh, Dr. Santos, um, doing site consults, we had a patient who um, basically had a lot of the symptoms of this. So I had, I had read about this in an article from that um, psychopharmacologyinstitute.com, like the continuing ed um, group that they read all those algorithms and, and whatnot. And uh, if you haven't checked that out, uh, if you like psych pharmacotherapy, I definitely encourage you to check out their website. It's good. But um, basically, uh, I, had, I had heard of, of this um, on that website. And then when I was listening to the patient kind of explain like a lot of the symptoms, it, it fit a lot of these um, kind of uh, this, this sort of narrative. And uh, so she had been on um, sertraline and it was not because, I mean, technically speaking, you can use any SSRI, but uh, she had been on sertraline, I think it was 100 to 150 milligrams a day, and um, was still having these outbursts, like, in traffic and, like, at work, and was, like, getting threatened to, like, lose her job and things like that. Um, so we switched to fluoxetine, and within a month, she said the symptoms were, like, almost gone. Great. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to actually see it play out in real Practice. I was interested in how common this was, and I came across a couple numbers that range anywhere from like one to seven percent of like general population, which seemed like a lot. But the, there was a caveat that the DSM criteria for diagnosis changed between the DSM four and the DSM five. And the DSM four, um, it used to be that uh, it could be a, a planned uh, situation, but now it, it they specify now in the DSM five that it has to be uh, impulsive, uh, which I, I would. I don't. I guess that would decrease the amount of people possibly that would um, experience this. Is it like a couple of instances of this, and you're diagnosed with this, or is it um, like a temporary thing that can resolve? Do you know? I I have to pull it up again. There, there's a from what I remember, there's a um, like a time period. There's a few different like um, it has to be like a certain number of times, like in a three to six month period. Right. I have so to it's over time. Exact. It's not yeah, like yeah. a single instance. No, 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 no. Because um, okay. I think all of us have gotten quite mad in traffic well, at one point. I was just thinking, you know, it just described feeling better after the the situation. <laughs> like, and I'm man, like, that was way, I'm glad I yelled yeah. at that person or started hitting animals. Definitely <laughs> punched a couple of walls or something when I was in uh, high school playing sports and it definitely felt better afterwards. So. I, l I don't think I could picture you punching Ah, walls. I really yeah. don't. I'd be like, I feel like you'd be like, ah, never mind. I'm over it. <laughs> Buddy of mine did that and broke his hand. Oh, that's the. I had a friend of mine in pharmacy school that did that. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, good punch. It's like during basketball season and punched a dumpster. I was like, oh, what'd you think was going to happen with that? Shattered his hand. Good. I, uh, fun fact, I, yeah. um, this is actually super embarrassing, but I kind of did the same thing. I like punched a wall 
And I, Heck it was yeah. so stupid. Like I'm not that type of person at all, but I was wow. like, I don't know, maybe like you said, it'll like make me feel better. So I had a wall and then I, I did break like my pinky knuckle. Yeah. Cause I also <laughs> don't know how to punch. Obviously if I yeah. punch well, with my pinky first, so I, gen- yeah, yeah. I not, generally not punched, I didn't do it often, but I generally punched soft things. But, um, I, I, I did like, uh, I remember I was having an argument with my brother. Oh, well, I've got a couple stories now that I think about it, but I was having an <laughs> argument with my brother and I really was not very angry and I pretty lightly hit the wall and just like busted the drywall. And I was like, Oh my goodness, my dad's going to kill me. You go, man, I'm tough. Yeah. <laughs> There was another situation <laughs> where I very lightly, I swear it was light, punched the, um, his, um, his, uh, his Jeep's, um, what is it called? The front window, whatever it is. The windshield? Windshield. I can't think of the word. Just like <laughs> spiderweb. Really? Like shattered it. Yeah. Turns out Cole's a great puncher. Everybody. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. I don't know. That's good. Yeah. Um, Emily, you said you're not you know, that kind of person, but I feel like there's evidence to the contrary since you <laughs> did, in fact, break your hand. Also, if you guys noticed from the video version, um, Emily doesn't have headphones on. Everyone laugh. <laughs> yeah. That's because she can't be trusted not to hit, not to throw me and stuff. So we had to take her headphones away. That's not why. Yeah. That's, not why. that's definitely why. All right. So um, we mentioned fluoxetine. Um, how, but Kayla, you were talking about the uh, insomnia being a potential option um or a potential problem i should say not option because she already um, has underlying insomnia yeah. right and so um starting on the fluoxetine now i will say yes that is fluoxetine is listed as potentially causing insomnia in some patients but i also you know have seen a lot of patients that do just fine with it and don't have that aspect um but she's already got the underlying insomnia so at that point we're gonna have to figure you know what we can um you know, which medication route we can go uh, other than, you know, sleep hygiene and all that. So um, there's our, our trazodone option, like we've talked about in the past for um, certain instances. Um, but the hypo, uh, the orthostatic hypotension is definitely a, a risk. Um, and uh, also, it's one of those drugs that, you know, it can help a little bit, but it doesn't usually, it's not all that effective. Um, and it usually has sort of a plateau effect um, that doesn't, uh, doesn't end up, you know, kind of working long-term for a lot of patients, but it is not a controlled substance. That's one thing to consider. Um, do we know if she has, if it's sleep onset insomnia that she's dealing with or if it's like sleep maintenance, like if she has trouble staying asleep? Um, I think we made that part up. So did whichever we? one you oh, want. Doggone it. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll say in, okay. That, you know, Emily, that's it. You're grounded. Um, <laughs> So, uh, in, in the case of like isolated sleep onset, if it's, if it's truly like sleep onset, um, you know, we, there's a few different options. Um, if we, you know, there's the Zolpidem is one that a lot of people do end up going with, but, um, because of her history of psych disorders and things like that, if we wanted to stay away from, uh, a benzodiazepine or a hypnotic, um, you know, there's the, like I said, there's the trazodone, there's also uh which that one's pretty hit or miss as far as the way the data looks. Um, amit- Low-dose amitriptyline is another one, um, but we do have to worry about the uh, anticholinergic effects of that one. The orthostatic hypotension is still a factor with that, as well as potentially even some QT prolongation. We all know that she has an issue with getting meds that can cause some QT prolongation. No, if I, I appreciate the pharmacist being Yeah, you know, I do too. Being cautious at least, yes. Yeah, thank you, Cole. You're always very positive. Um, and then also mirtazapine. So, um, but the problem is this patient's uh, does have a, um, a BMI of over 30, and mirtazapine um, can definitely increase appetite pretty extensively. So I would be 
a little bit worried about that one. However, if we were going to use mirtazapine, I will say that um, we would have to stick with low-dose mirtazapine because that's the one that actually induces fatigue and has more binding affinity for the histamine receptor versus the uh, the higher doses that we would use for like true like depression or something. Um, you st- when you get to the doses 30 and 45 milligrams, you start um, getting more affinity for um, other uh, receptor types and not so much the uh, the histamine receptor. So you, you start losing a lot of times patients will have fatigue initially and then it starts, their bodies get used to it and they, the fatigue is not as prevalent as the higher doses. So that's something to encourage. If you are going to start to make sure you keep it at the low dose and don't titrate up. Hypothetically, if, if we hadn't done fluoxetine and just know that you had a good response to it, could Remeron have been an option for the sleep and the um, explosive disorder or probably not since the SSRIs are indicated first line? Yeah, explosive, probably not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to look and see if there's any data with mortesbine. I actually don't know. I doubt there is. I was just wondering. Um, If it's sleep maintenance, though, um, there's a couple different things we could look at. Um, There's one uh, that I I tend to like a lot. Shout out to Patrick Key for kind of putting me onto this one. But uh, doxepin um, is one of those uh, cyclics that we don't really think about too often. Um, But uh, the low-dose doxepin can be very useful uh, for uh, sleep maintenance or mixed insomnia. And uh, it's it's not a controlled substance. um, And so you don't have the worry about, you know, them being on benzo or hypnotic or anything. Um, It does have um, some things to watch out for as far as, you know, the the like side effects and whatnot. I mean, anything that's a tricyclic, you're going to have some kind of uh, anticholinergic side effects. Um, and same with like QT prolongation and all that, but it's usually a lot less, uh, more, you know, like a lot less pronounced um, than some of the others like amitriptyline. Um, but uh, you're going to definitely uh, see patients that will utilize that because we're trying to stay away from some of those more controlled substances. And, um, you know, there's there's several other options. There's actually, have you guys uh, ever seen um, the Sonata? Uh, it's like the really short acting. Zeleplon. Yeah, Zeleplon. So I've actually seen um, some cases where the patient will, because it's got like a half-life of an hour, patients will wake up in the middle, as long as they have, you know, the three or four hours left in the night, they can take one of those and it'll be out of their system without the residual um, effects in the morning. So I, I have seen that as well. So it kind of depends on what the situation is. Um, obviously, too, you have to think about the serotonin levels. Um, doxepin at low doses, we're dealing more so with other, like the histamine receptors and other um, receptor binding affinity than we are with serotonin, but that's still going to come up as an interaction and something to at least be aware of. Um, if you want to double check doxepins, all of their cl- like kind of clinical teaching or counseling, you can check out your Pearls app. Right. See, I throw that right in there. Just, just making money. Um, they, so our sponsor today, our, our, our daily pearl, if you will, um, is uh, Doxapen. We'll, we'll do that. So counseling points, we've already mentioned some of them, but just make sure that you note uh, to patients that it could take about two weeks to start seeing some benefit, four to eight weeks to see a full effect when you're treating depression. Um, it, it will cause some drowsiness. So even if you're not using it for insomnia, make sure they still dose it at bedtime, ideally. And then those anticholinergic effects... Uh, um, including uh, the uh, constipation, blurred vision. It can also cause some vivid dreams, potentially. 
Um, also can uh, cause a little bit of decreased libido, so make sure patients are aware of that. So if you have not checked out Pearls, P-Y-R-L-S.com slash coreconsultrx, get your free download and your uh, some, some solid charts and uh, put out a new community-acquired pneumonia algorithm, all kinds of good stuff on there, so make sure you check it out. Um, thanks to Pearls for uh, looking out for us. What do you guys want to talk about next? Um, uh, plugged. So, like, going back to the other options for the intermittent explosive disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, resistant disease would be defined as the patient is not responding to the SSRI within 6 to 12 weeks of starting therapy. And this is um, interesting what drugs would be, what we would go to next. It's mostly what we think of as, like, seizure medications, like phenytoin, carbamazepine, even, like, Lamictal and Topamax and... Um, Valproate, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, because they can they can all be used as mood stabilizers, and I yeah. guess that would be mm-hmm. kind of the the goal there. Do you have one you you go with, Kaylee? Any of them you like more than others? Just out of curiosity. Mm. There's no right answer. I'm just asking. Mm. I feel like I do Lamictal the most, so let's go with that one. Cool. All right. There you Why go. not? We'll have that in our back pocket. <laughs> um. All right, Joe. Where? What else? You want to jump into her hypertension? I'll allow it. All right. So uh, she was on a 10 25 milligrams twice a day until we got a hold of her. Mm. Um, and we're changing that today um, because in what it was like multiple trials, right? That uh, patients with hypertension, uh, a 10 showed to be like no better than placebo. And if anything, like worse than placebo. I don't know. You're telling, that us. You're telling us. Is that what you're? Oh, is that that's what, what you were telling us the oh, other day. I, I think, was but, teaching. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, together. when it comes to um, reducing all cause mortality and uh, CV inv- CV events, it's um, inferior for sure. <laughs> and uh, for sure, it may even increase stroke or um, like even death risk compared to other antihypertensive drugs. So, not not our fave. Not not ideal. So um, what uh, Emily is referring to is uh, a meta-analysis from Lancet, I think 2004, um, that was initially looking at atenolol versus placebo, and they looked at atenolol versus other antihypertensives. And with uh, in regards to all-cause mortality, cardiovascular mortality, MI, and stroke, there was no difference between outcomes when uh, it comes to atenolol and placebo. And then uh, atenolol versus other antihypertensives, uh, atenolol tended to be worse for um, all-cause mortality and cardiovascular mortality. With all cause mortalities, a number needed to harm of 111. 111. Yep. Wow. So, law is not ideal. It's not ideal. And regardless, uh, any beta blocker, I mean, I'm looking at her history and I see she had a stent, but she didn't have an MI. So, I don't really see an yeah, indication. She had a STEMI. So, she did? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, that's why. But the wrong beta blocker. Okay. Yes. I yes. don't, still don't like it. So, yes, I will point out that the meta analysis was hyper. Uh, um, was prime was looking at patients with primary hypertension, but because she has hypertension as well as you know, still maybe needing a well, she also had the the MI back in um, what twenty February twenty twenty one. So how long are we going to keep her on the beta blocker? Um, so I've seen some data around one year. Some people saying three years. So it kind of just depends on um, what we end up coming up with. But um, the uh, carvedilol. Um, Lobetalol or nabivalol would be the ones that would give the most actual blood pressure lowering as well as providing the uh, the beta blockade. 
because you get the alpha beta um, blockade with carvedilol and labetalol. So you're blocking not only cardiac output or lowering not only cardiac output, but also um, you're lowering uh, systemic vascular resistance. And then um, the uh, with nabivolol, Emily, we can hear you. How dare you? <laughs> Everyone look at Emily. She's wearing a nice we, shirt. Well, um, then I'll just ask like out loud. Are we so she? Since we like kind of made this person up, are we not saying that she has like primary hypertension? We're just saying that she was on the beta blocker because of her like episode. Well, what's her blood pressure? I mean, it needs it. And also, we didn't make this person. This is a combination of two people. What are you talking about? (laughs) This is a patient we literally saw yesterday. One of half of them. Half, yeah. Um, Okay, okay. Emily's not invited back. Everyone, (laughs) everyone, say bye to Emily and her no headphones and master shirt. Where's TJ at when we need him? <laughs> Shout out to TJ. <laughs> TJ's Emily's husband, Edit by the way. Out. I'm that way. I'm, I'm, that's it. That's going on TikTok. Okay. Well, I'm going to say that um, she has like primary hypertension, uh, hypertension because she does. Um, but so because of her uh, cough allergy to the ACE inhibitor, we decided we would um, try low sartan 50 milligrams and. Um, we wanted to do that in the evening because of the uh, Hygieia and MAPEC trials. They talked about the um, like significantly lower blood pressure and like rates of CV events uh, in patients that took at least like one of their um, antihypertensive drugs in the evening as opposed to in the morning or just like sometime during the day. Yeah. And then um, interesting info about. Uh, Losartan and like ARBs in general that I learned in PA school this morning. So tell me if I get this wrong because I just learned this in your lectures or learned like the details of it. Um, but they, so you don't have to worry as much about um, like the angioedema or cough with ARBs because they work in a different part of the pathway. So it allows for the breakdown of um, bradykinin. So, um, which doesn't happen with ACEs. So they get like a buildup of bradykinin. And that's what causes like the acute angi- uh, like airway angioedema. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So basically, like because an ACE inhibitor is blocking the conversion of angiotensin one to angiotensin two, and also an ACE inhibitor or ACE, the actual enzyme, is responsible for the breakdown of bradykinin and, and other things as well. But um, be- because an ARB is blocking the actual receptor, it's further down that that RAS system and so you're you're still getting that breakdown of bradykinin um, from ace uh, that enzyme itself and so yeah we would typically not think of it as causing a, a cough or um and th- there's some debate around this but it really it would in theory not cause angioedema either and in fact the like the heart failure guidelines and say say that if a patient's had angioedema on an ace to give an arb um so yeah, definitely a good option. Less of a concern. So um, in her, we're thinking she needs a beta blocker because she's post MI. So we got the beta blocker on board. Can we, but, but can we, were we saying we were going to ditch that because it's been a year? Or oh, no? did you say it's been a year? Well, yeah, I think it's it was February. February. So it's been okay. over a year. So, so we can ditch we that. We do ditch that. Um, yeah, then we can just, so the Losartan is definitely an option. I will point out the uh, the Valiant trial um, looked at uh, Valsartan post uh, MI and um, showed that it can be, so if we wanted to go something evidence-based, I'm sure there's some data with Losartan as well, um, but just to throw another option out there, and that was, um, you know, just a potential alternative if she just didn't like Losartan for whatever reason. It kind of has a shorter half-life, right? Valsartan? No, Losartan. But Valsartan's twice a day, but doesn't Losartan have a bit of a less than 24 hours yeah, kind of half-life yeah, you can sort of deal? It. We, we dose it 12 hours, every 12 yeah. hours at my clinic. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then uh, she's also on clopidogrel and aspirin still, which is kind of weird. Yeah. So, you know, really, if, even post-stent, like the dual antiplatelet therapy, you know, can be utilized for that um, first 12 months. But after, you know, PCI, and we typically don't think of, you know, needing the dual antiplatelet, or at least we're re- reassessing to see if she still needs it. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I basically the our, our plan was to have her follow up with cardiology because she hadn't been right. in a while. And it's at least controversial. So there's the DAPT trial. Yeah. A couple others, and it's kind of a, a risk bit of it ish versus bleeding sort of thing. But yeah, it, it seems like after a year unneeded unless there's other compelling indications. And um, the other thing is, you know, that was kind of interesting too, is they went with clopidogrel where she has diabetes and she has other risk factors. Um, the the Plato trial um, looked at ticagalor versus clopidogrel. Um, both, pa- both patient arms had aspirin as well. Um, and the ticagalor did do better in patients that had uh, other risk factors and whatnot. Um, and so I believe the number needed to treat was like 50, 54, somewhere around there um, for the primary outcome. Come. Um, so it was a little bit better, but it did have a slightly higher bleed risk. Um, and you, if you went above um, 100 milligrams of aspirin, so you, it needs to be the, the 81 milligram aspirin uh, in the U.S. anyway, then because um, if you went above that, the bleed risk um, outweighed the, the benefit at that point. But um, this patient could have probably been a candidate for ticagalor over clopidogrel, but I don't know if it was just a cost thing or what the issue was. But just throwing that out there to kind of um, – keep in mind so you mentioned um post mi has a stent and you didn't see any history of a statin right right so that's kind of important kind of important only slightly but what's interesting is her ld hell's only 94 which is actually yeah. pretty solid for no statin and uh her her diabetes 95 excuse me yeah yeah, yeah. but that but, being said yes she'd be indicated uh, pretty clearly for a high intensity statin yeah um and that i mean you can look at like the TNT trial. The, um, there's various studies that I've seen um, preventing secondary uh, yeah. ASCVD events um, yeah. with high intensity statin. So a Torva 80 right off the bat. If she hasn't been on one, if she's had, and if she's with the myalgias, myopathies, then we can switch to a hydrophilic statin, which is going to have less volume of distribution, um, less risk of that uh, tissue penetration, and we can um, go with Rasuva 40. Same thing. Jupiter trial. Yeah. And so would she be uh, kind of a candidate for a goal of less than 70 for her LDL with the At least, primary yeah. prevention plus but, diabetes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, depending on if we've really calculated it up, maybe even, even the ultra that, or whatever the, it is. The extreme risk. Extreme. Yeah. Um, I don't think she quite would meet. Maybe I have to look at it, but um, uh, that would be the less than 55 according to the ACE guidelines. Yeah. So, so um, I think I think she'll definitely be less than seventy for sure though with a high intensity stat. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she should get a fifty percent reduction if she's not been on anything. Yeah. Um, I kept thinking about her trilicity. So we just had a new kind of big approval in the last couple of days. Yeah, right? we did. So do, do you think that uh, once that's available, she'd be a candidate for trisepatide? She's got uh, Medicare, so I would assume they're not going to have it. Yeah. Right now, but yeah. we'll see. I hope so. I hope that they can get it on formulary pretty soon. For all kinds of insurance companies. Yeah. It'd be great. It would be. Um, oh, I, I also didn't mention the uh, 
the iron levels. So just to throw this out there, because not taking anything, uh, any iron supplementation right now, but, um, you know, historically they've, for irons, you know, kind of replenishment um, for uh, like a microcytic anemia, iron deficiency anemia, um, that they've used 100 to 200 milligrams of elemental iron per day. It's quite a bit. Which is nuts and causes tons of constipation and issues. And so um, there's actually some evidence now, there's multiple studies that have showed that like every other day dosing or even I've even seen it uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday dosing of one ferrous sulfate 325 um, is enough to replenish iron stores because you almost get like this paradoxical um, effect where if you take too much of it in a day, it's not going to actually be absorbed. Um, I feel like the women's health, uh, the OBs, the OBGYNs, the and the midwives, um, all of them that have they're like so up on this, but primary care is like still no iron ferrous sulfate twice a day every day. Yeah, just deal with the constipation. No, it's counterintuitive to anything I've heard. I mean, I I would say um, the increase in side effects makes sense, but the decrease in absorption doesn't. But it's a real thing. So yeah. in a lot of instances, they are recommending. Don't even do daily dosing. Just do every other day. And they've seen better, um, equivalent or better iron absorption in those instances. Yep. Good deal. Anything else with this patient? I don't think so. Are you sure, Emily? I'm sure. I think. I don't know. We're going to get them all fixed up. This is good. We didn't even have to, like change a whole bunch of things. A lot of times when we work these patients up, we're like, yeah, you know, you wouldn't do all this today. You would do this, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, most of the things we said are pretty reasonable to do. And I think a lot of it's just more so diet, education, lifestyle stuff. Yeah. Pretty doable. Yeah. They're going to, they'll follow up with them this week. uh, The two patients that we used since Emily called us out on firing (laughs) patients. I mean, we still spiced them up. Like not all of this was from those two patients. Okay. Emily, you're really ruining this this, this episode for everybody. I don't know. She's determined. Look, everyone, look, see, look, there's Emily just ruining the case. I mean, that's what they do for, like, tests and stuff. So, like, the people that are using this for, like, study oh, no. purposes. This, is, this is, has to be real. Everyone, might not okay, always you know be what? real. I'm that's sorry. It. Like, that, the patients who take That's the it. Just on. go ahead and delete the episode. This okay. can't get out. We've ruined it. It's too late for us. Sorry, everyone. Well, maybe if you actually edited these, no, no, you I could can't, fix I have, it. I don't have time for that. Oh, yeah. You could just edit out that she said that. but Just no. make it blank. Yeah. <laughs> just Something <laughs> happened. Yeah. Emily starts talking, and then it just, like, beep. <laughs> it's redacted. We redacted the episode. Yeah, it just says redacted. Yeah. And we're just going to be a three-second thing of us just going, we're sorry we had to take this episode. <laughs> yeah. There's too much vulgarity from our students. I think we'll yeah. have to wait for uh, AJ to get back to do that, right? I hope maybe. Yeah. He's the one. Maybe, yeah, yeah. If he ever comes back. Yeah, he's been, he might just be a permanent cruise guy. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have to check out. If anybody sees AJ, please return to us. <laughs> He's missing. He's not a missing child. He's been gone for like two weeks at this cruise. I saw his face on the milk carton today. Yeah, yeah. I'm put, I put it there. I have a carton of milk in my fridge. Do you? Yeah, oh. I don't use those plastic chucks. I use cartons. Yeah, well. No, I don't. I was going to say, do they make those anymore? No. <laughs> <laughs> not unless you're in middle school. Was this 1983? <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, now we've lost everyone. Um <laughs> So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I hope that was uh, somewhat helpful. Um, definitely check out the uh, you know the actual case itself. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts, comments. If you would do anything differently or completely disagree with our recommendations, we'll take a look at that you know as well. And, and we want to learn just like you guys. So um, we'd like to hear your thoughts. If you want to send us an email, um, you can uh, hit us up on any of the social media platforms. Um, you can also uh, send us a text directly if you want to go that route. 
Um, the number will be in the show notes, but it's 415-943-6116. Um, also, make sure you check out uh, www.patreon.com slash coreconsultrx. Um, there's going to be uh, lectures, and I'm also doing practice questions up there now for like um, pharmacotherapy practice questions um, that go along with the lectures. And so um, hopefully you guys are liking that. I definitely appreciate all of you who have uh, joined and supported us through that. It means a lot. And uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. Bye, everybody.